Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, and if you would, please stand with me, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. We will look at verses 1 through 12, but we're just going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 6. Verse 1 of chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. And Father, we, we thank you for your word, Lord God. We pray, Lord, that you would bless it to our hearts now, Father, and, and God, uh, speak to us, minister to us through your word, God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so want to welcome those on Facebook as well. Almost forgot, but um, glad that you can join us tonight. So last time we were together, I was up here sharing with you guys, uh, we covered 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And so what God uh, has done for me is that each time I get an opportunity to come and share on a, on a Wednesday is that he put in, in my heart to to go through First Thessalonians. And so that's what we're going to be doing every time I come up here is we're just going to continue on in the epistle all the way to the end. And so last time we were here, we covered chapter 1. And I had mentioned the background for First Thessalonians. And I just want to mention that real quickly again. Paul founded the church in Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. Thessalonica was the second largest city in the area. Only Philippi, 100 miles to the east, was larger. Conservative scholars date 1 Thessalonians between A.D. 50 and A.D. 54. This would make the epistle one of Paul's earliest inspired writings, probably his second after Galatians. Paul gives several reasons for writing this epistle. Number one, he wanted to commend the church for their faith and works and their example. And if you remember when we were together last time in this epistle, that's what we spoke about is their work of faith. If you look with me at verse three, Paul in praying for them says that he's remembering their work of faith, their labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. And so he commended them for these things. And what's, what was interesting about that is that this was a young congregation, if you remember, probably three weeks, four weeks in the Lord, and Paul was already commending them for the things that they were doing in the Lord. 
And so God was working through this congregation, this young congregation, young believers in the Lord, babes in Christ. And yet, um, as we talked about in chapter one as well, Paul kind of went into some deep things with them. Or even through the whole letter, he went in some, through some deep doctrines with them, even though they were young Christians. And so he, want, he commended them for their faith, their works, or their faith of works, work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. Number two, he defended himself against charges that his ministry was only for profit. And we'll see that tonight where Paul and the rest, or Paul, Silas, and Timothy, of course, were with him on this missionary journey, as we see in verse 1. And um, they were being accused of using the ministry for their own gain. And I'm kind of surprised about that because we're talking about the Apostle Paul, <laughs> right? And, so, and yet... Some were accusing them of doing this very thing. And we'll see tonight, Paul's heart. One thing I love about this chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12, is that we see Paul's heart towards his spiritual children. We'll see that tonight. And we'll see his heart and how he is sharing that he is not doing this for personal gain. Far from it. He's doing it out of love for these believers that he led to the Lord, and we'll see that tonight. Number three, he encouraged the new church to stand against persecution. Of course, um, these believers were being persecuted for converting to the Lord Jesus Christ, and so Paul encourages them to, to stand against this persecution. And by the way, all of these things that, that, that Paul is mentioning in this letter, we see today. And so for no, no doubt that we can find application in our own lives for today. Number four, he answered the question about what happens to believers who die before the second coming of Jesus. And we see that in chapter 4 and chapter 5, where he dealt with this, what happens to a believer who dies before the second coming of Jesus? Of course, they, they had heard that, um, that they, they were believing that they missed the second coming. And so Paul wanted to assure them that, in fact, they did not miss the second coming. And he wanted to assure them that those that had already gone to be with the Lord that they would all be uh, joined together after the second coming. And then number five, he dealt with problems in the church. And so um, interesting that even then there was problems in the church. And we, we kind of mentioned that where, um, of course, you put sinners together and you're going to have problems, right, <laughs> even in the church. And so Paul dealt with that in chapter 5, verses 12 through 22, and, event, and we will eventually get to that. So with that, um, the theme of tonight is a fruitful ministry. And the title is How the Gospel Was Delivered. And as I was 
meditating upon this today, the Lord impressed it upon my heart to that this is not only for those that are in ministry. We want to see how Paul delivered the ministry or delivered the gospel. And we'll see how he delivered it. And he, he delivered it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he de delivered it in, in conflict. Wrong page here. He delivered it in boldness, and he delivered it in pleasing God. But, and I kind of, as I was studying this, my attention went towards those that are in ministry how we can gain insight in, into Paul's heart and his life and how he ministered to the believers. But also, the Lord impressed it upon my heart that if, if those that are not in ministry, this is, a good, this is good insight into how we can look to see what ministry we can be under. What leader we can be under? What kind of leader was Paul? And so we can look at it this way and say, okay, um, I'm searching for a church, maybe, or I'm um, looking to get into some kind of ministry. What kind of leader should I be looking for? What should I be looking for as I uh, seek to get planted in a church or get planted in a ministry? And we'll see that tonight. We'll, we'll see how Paul ministered and then get, gain insight from Paul. So, verses 1 through 6, how the gospel was delivered. Look with me at verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. And so the first thing Paul tells them, the believers there in Thessalonica, is that when they came to them, it wasn't, an, it wasn't empty. That's what this word vain means. It means empty, indicating the hollowness of something or somebody. And so here it means unaccompanied with, with the demonstration of the spirit and power. And so what Paul is telling them is that you know, brethren, that when we came to you, we came in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that is number one, is that a fruitful ministry or a fruitful leader must be spirit-led, must be led by the Spirit, and not only led by the Spirit, must be empowered by the Spirit. So important that, that not only... We hear a lot about how the Holy Spirit leads us to Christ, right? Uh, Jesus said he is with you. He told the disciples, and soon he will be in you. And so the Holy Spirit leads us to Christ, leads us to the fact that we need Christ, that we are sinners and that we need a Savior and that we need to be forgiven. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But then after we come to Christ, as Jesus said, he will be in you. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that is empowering us to serve the Lord. Whatever we do, 
whatever we say and whomever we are ministering to, it must be in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so a fruitful ministry must be spirit-led and spirit-empowered. Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, in his book, The Holy Spirit, said, Without the Spirit in its midst, the church would be nothing more than a social club or a service organization. But when the Spirit is given his proper place, the body of Christ becomes a dynamic force of change in a sick and dying world. You see, many churches will try and serve the Lord without the Holy Spirit. They will, they will come up with methods. We're pretty good at coming up with methods, right? <laughs> and even hiring people to, to come up with some way to draw the people in, whether it's through entertainment, as we'll see in a minute, through flattering words, as Paul said. And yet, it must be the Holy Spirit that is working through the people that are serving at this church or at the church. And it is the Holy Spirit that is drawing people to the church and ministering to the people. And so we see here in verse 1 that Paul reminds them that they know that it that when Paul and, and Silvanus or Silas and Timothy came to them, it was not in vain. It wasn't empty. It was in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, he tells them, But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. And so the gospel was delivered in much conflict. Paul mentions that they had come to Thessalonica after suffering and were spitefully treated in Philippi. And we see this. With a, I, I was taught years ago that the best commentary for the Bible is the Bible. <laughs> and so the Lord impressed that upon my heart, and that's something that, that I haven't, that he's never allowed me to forget. And so with that, turn with me to Acts chapter 16, because I wanted us to see how Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, and Luke was with them as well, how they had suffered and were spitefully treated at Philippi. Beginning at verse 16, it says in verse 16, Acts 16, now it happened as we went to prayer. Now remember, Luke is, had written this, the book of Acts, and so he, he's there with them because he says, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us, there it is again, and cried out, saying, These men 
are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. And so we see that as they were going for prayer, this young girl or girl, slave girl, is possessed with the demon. And we know that she is possessed with the demon because Paul cast the demon out of her, as we're going to see in a minute. And so it says that she did this divination and brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. And so she was, they were using this girl to tell the future, if you will, and they were making money off of her. And so she sees Paul and the rest of the uh, disciples, and she begins to tell, say, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And then Paul, and then it says, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit. I don't know why he got annoyed. She was kind of actually saying the truth, right? <laughs> um, she was saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God, true, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. That's exactly what they were doing. They were preaching Christ and him crucified. And so, um, and yet she did it for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. And so Paul cast the demon out of her and that very hour, the demon came out of her. Verse 19, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And so as I was reading this, it was interesting that they weren't angry that they were preaching Christ and him crucified. They weren't angry that they were preaching another religion. They were angry because they lost their cash cow. <laughs> they were angry because she can no longer make money for them. And so because of this, they seized Paul and Silas. And notice that they only seized Paul and Silas. More than likely, they were the leaders. And so they, they chose Paul and Silas. They seized them and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. And so what are they doing? They're lying. They say, they say that they were teaching customs which are not lawful for them, but in actuality, they had... Paul had cast a demon out of the young girl, and she can no longer fortune, uh, tell the future, and so they can no longer make money off of her. That's what they were really angry about. But they, they told the magistrates that they were teaching customs which were not lawful for them, being Romans, to receive or observe. Verse 22, then the multitude, notice the multitude, rose up together against them. And so these men, they, they got the, the mob to go against Paul and Silas and the other disciples. 
And so they rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so they were chained uh, in, in the prison and thrown into the prison. And so if we were to keep on reading, we would, we would run into the Philippian jailers. It's interesting that in verse 5, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And so what a, a, a great testimony that even though they were in prison, they were in stocks, yet they were praising the Lord. They were singing and praising the Lord. And so we see here that, that Paul and Silas were, were seized, thrown into prison, not for sharing the gospel, but because they delivered the girl from the demon and they could no longer make money from them or from her. And so society will do that. Society, culture will make money any way they can. We see our own culture today and, and really, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with the cancel culture. Right. Um, as uh, Pastor Randy mentioned last week, you could lose your job by saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things, delivering somebody from from uh, from a demon or just leading someone to Christ. You can get kicked off of social media. You share the gospel. Um, is it is it really the gospel that they're angry about? or the fact that they know the power of the gospel and those that hear the gospel, if they receive the gospel, they will turn to God and repent of their sins. Um, sports, you say the wrong thing and you get kicked out of sports, right? Um, schools, same thing. How about libraries? Of all the places, I was just reading that, that Libraries are places where they don't want the gospel to be, uh, to be uh, shared. They don't want Christian books to be in the libraries. Of all places, the libraries. I find that interesting. And of course, we know in Hollywood as well. Um, we just went to go see the movie uh, with Jim Caviezel. Somebody help me out here. Um, Sound of Freedom, thank you. We just went to go see that yesterday. And at the end of the movie, he said it took five years to get that movie released. Hope I'm not messing it up for anyone, but <laughs> that's all I'll say about it. But um, yeah, five years to get that movie released. He said there was all kinds of obstacles in the way in order to get that movie released. And so, as Paul and the disciples were here and they were sharing the gospel and this young girl who was demon-possessed heard them, she understood the truth. She said what they were doing. She understood the truth and, so, and then she was delivered from the demon and they were angry because 
they can no longer make money off of her. And I think a lot of that has to do with our society today as well. They're angry that many people will turn to the Lord. And in that, they will lose followers. And so they hinder the gospel in that way. And so we back to uh, 1 Thessalonians. So we see that in verse 2, Paul tells them, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, he told them, so they heard about what had happened in Philippi, the believers here in Thessalonica. He says, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. And so we see that the gospel was delivered in much conflict. We see that the gospel was delivered in boldness. It was delivered in boldness because, he says in verse 3, our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. And so their message was not deceptive, Paul tells them. It was in truth, not error. As we see in verse 5a, he tells them, for neither at any time did we use flattering words. And so when people want to be deceptive, they use these very big, great words, right? So, so that way they sound very intelligent. And sometimes you hear these things and all you can say is, huh? <laughs> I have no idea what he just said. But Paul says that they didn't use flattering words. He says that their exhortation did not come from error. Their message was not deceptive. It was truth. It was not in error. Secondly, he tells them that their exhortation did not come in uncleanness. Speaking of their motivation, Paul's motivation, the disciples' motivation was not impure. They didn't have um, motives for personal gain. It wasn't for them. What they were doing for these believers was not for personal gain. And we see that a lot today, do we not? Where I love the ones where they say, where they just, they're just asking, if you want to be blessed, then give X amount of dollars. Give X, X amount of money if you want to be blessed. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I can see the one that is being blessed. I mean, <laughs> in their fancy suits, right? Um, many of them, they, they drive around in fancy cars, fancy jewelry, fancy jets. And so here, Paul assures the Thessalonians that their motivation was not impure, or their exhortation was not impure, but it was clean. It was to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and not for personal gain. Look at uh, verse 5, again, B, 5B. 
he says, of course, in A, he says, we did not at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. So it wasn't a pretext for greed as they were sharing the gospel, but it was simply to share the gospel, to share the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, he tells them their exhortation did not come in deceit in verse 3. Their method was not to trick, mislead, or deceive them, but was straightforward. And so Paul had no, he had no desire to mislead these believers into what he was telling them. And so um, we see a lot of that as well, where, where those that are sharing the gospel are misleading people. And what they do is they just put just a little bit of the truth, just enough of the truth in there, right? So that it sounds like the truth, but in actuality, they are misleading people who are famous for this, the cults. The cults are famous for this. They will put just enough of the truth in their message to mislead the people. And they're very successful at this. And so Paul assures the Thessalonians that they were bold in God to speak to them the gospel of God in much conflict. Of course, they uh, received conflict in Thessalonica as well. And he tells them that their exhortation did not come from error, uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. So we see that the gospel was delivered in much conflict. It was delivered in boldness. And then thirdly, it was delivered in pleasing God, not men. Look with me at verse 4. But as, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Every Christian, if we are here tonight and we consider ourselves a Christian, we have a personal calling to please God. In how we live our lives, in how we speak, where we go, every aspect of our lives we have this calling to please God. Now, every morning when I wake up, I no longer get out of bed. I now roll out of bed. <laughs> and I roll right onto my knees into prayer. Because if I'm not if I'm not praying, if that's not the first thing I'm going to be doing in the morning, I'm not going to please God. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want, to, I want the Holy Spirit to come upon me for the day so that no matter what I say, no matter what I do, who I speak to, no matter where I go, I want it to be pleasing to the Lord. That doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. It doesn't mean I'm going to make mistakes, but my mindset, right, my mindset is to please the Lord in all that I do. And that's what Paul says here. 
He first says that they have been approved by God. I find that interesting. They have been tested already by the Lord. Of course, they just went through uh, persecution. They just went through persecution here in, when they were in Thessalonica. And so they had been tested by the Lord, and they had been approved by the Lord. He says to be entrusted with the gospel. God entrusted them with something precious. God entrusts all of us as believers with something precious, and that is the gospel. Not only is it powerful, but it is also precious. It's his word. It's his message to a dying world. It was his message to us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, right? And so to God, it is a precious message. I love what, what Peter calls the blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus. That's what it reminds me of. And so Paul says that they were entrusted with the gospel, and God has entrusted us as well with the gospel. And so he says, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Our message should not be geared to please men. One thing about the Bible is that it gives the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I believe if, if, if this was not God-inspired, it would raise man on a pedestal that, <laughs> that you couldn't even reach, right? It would just exalt man, but it doesn't do that. It, it tells us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And it is, it is that Lord Jesus Christ is the one that came and died for our sins and was buried and rose again on the third day. And apart from Christ, if we do not receive him as Lord and Savior, that we would, we would perish. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what the Bible teaches us. And so Paul tells the Thessalonians that they are not pleasing men, but they are pleasing God. Jesus did not live to please himself. In John chapter 8, verse 29, says, And he, Jesus speaking, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. That was the mindset of Jesus. All that he was going to do was going to please the Father. And that should be our mindset as well. All that we do, all that we say, wherever we go with the mindset, does it please the Father? So when we lay our heads down at night and we recollect the day, we begin to think back through the day, did I please the Father? Did I please the Father? Did I please the Father? If not, okay, Lord, Correct me in that. Tomorrow, I'm not going to do the same thing because I know it didn't please you. But step by step, hour by hour, did it please the Father? Did it please the Father? There are many ways to please God. In Hebrews chapter 11, 
verse 5 and 6, and there's, there's many ways. I've, I've only uh, wrote down two of them because, well, we'd be here all night. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 and 6 says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. I want that to be my testimony. Verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so by us just putting our faith in the Lord, trusting in him each and every day, and no matter what situation we find ourselves in, no matter what we're going through, we put our faith in him, it pleases him. It pleases his heart. That's what he wants us to do. No matter what the circumstance, Lord, it's out of my control. You are sovereign. You have full control over all things. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with the outcome. I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my faith in you. And so Hebrews tells us that, that Enoch pleased God because of his faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Secondly, we can please God through praise. In Psalm 69, verses 30 and 31, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bull which has horns and hoofs. In other words, a sacrifice. Praise pleases the Lord. When That's what we were doing today, right? Uh, before um, I came up here, we were praising the Lord. We were pouring out our hearts to him, just singing to him, sharing our hearts and how much we love him through song. That pleases the Father. You know, last week, Pastor Randy was talking about raising our hands. It was last week, right? You guys remember that? And um, that's praising the Lord. And that pleases him to see us just surrendering, surrendering to him, praising him in song, praising him and pouring out our hearts to him. That praises or that pleases the Lord. And so Paul says that they were not as pleasing men, but God who tests the hearts. In verses 7 through 12, we see that the gospel was delivered through imitating God. Look with me at verse 7. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. And so really, we please God as we were discussing pleasing God. We also please God through imitating him. We see in these verses here, Paul's deep affection for his spiritual children. 
In verse 7, he uses the care and protection of a nursing mother as an illustration of their gentleness towards the Thessalonians. Um, in other words, what Paul is feeding them, these baby Christians, is what he has already taken in. As a nursing mother, we have the, the, the what would you call that room? The mother's room. <laughs> and so when, when moms are nursing their babies, they can go in there, and it's an intimate time, right? It's a private time. That's why we have that room. But it's an intimate time. And Paul uses this as an illustration to describe his affection and his intimacy with these believers. And so what Paul has taken in himself, of course, a nursing mom, she has to eat good food. She has to eat correctly, right? Because whatever she has put in her body when she is nursing her, her baby, that is what the baby is going to eat as well, right? And so um, Paul uses this as what I have been feeding on, I am giving to you. I am feeding you with. If she eats certain foods, her baby will get sick, foods that she should not be eating. And so I love this, this illustration that Paul uses to express his affection, his intimacy, his love, his care for these believers. Psalm 131 says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And so David is the author of this Psalm 131, and he draws a beautiful picture of the perfect contentment and confidence he enjoys in the Lord. And this is the message that Paul was conveying to the Thessalonians. He was assuring them that, of course, what he, what he was sharing with them as he was ministering to them was not for personal gain. As a matter of fact, it was because of my love for you. And my love for you is like a nursing mother beautiful picture of the heart of Paul. Beautiful picture of a pastor's love for his congregation. And so as we, as we, as those are in ministry, you know, Sunday, it was Sunday, um, we were talking about how to minister to the children, and someone had said, she's here tonight, but um, said that we Something to the effect that, that we're going to care for them like mama bears, right? Have this love for the babies, for the children like mama bears, this, this intimate care for them, that we want to love on them and, and, and take care of them. This is what the um, message that Paul was expressing to the believers in Thessalonica. In verse 8, 
they not only gave them the gospel, as we see that they shared the gospel with them, but also to their physical needs. And so he says in verse 8, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. And so not only did they share the gospel with them, but they gave them their all. Their time, as we see, um, as we see in verse 9, he says that, you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And so night and day they were ministering to, to the believers. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke gave them their all to the point of exhaustion. Not only the gospel, but um, their whole lives they gave them. In verse 9, they supported themselves to not be a burden. Of course, I read part of verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. And so, and so not only did they give them their all, but they worked to support themselves so that the believers wouldn't be burdened thinking that they had to support Paul and the other disciples. And so we see that the heart of Paul, that he, he cared for, the, the, for these believers, he did not want them to be burdened with anything. He wanted them to make sure, or that he wanted them to know that they were there to minister to them on behalf of the Lord. And so Paul, he also worked to support themselves so that the believers would not be burdened to support them. And so that really ministers to me because as a minister, a minister is a servant. And as a servant, we are to serve others, not to be served. Of course, we know that's what Jesus said, right? He didn't come to be served, but to serve and give a ransom for many. And so Paul here is assuring them that he is there to serve them. And that is a great message for us. As believers, we are servants. We share the gospel, but we also give our lives as well. We spend time with people. We go the extra mile to serve them and whatever their needs are, making sure that they know that we are not in it for personal gain. We are not in it to profit from them, but we are there to serve them. And this is the message that Paul is, is giving the Thessal Thessalonians. And so, as I had mentioned earlier, you know, there's, there's two groups of people here, I guess, that the Lord put on my heart. It is those that are serving. This is the heart that we should be serving with. And, as, and if you're not serving and you're a Christian here, if you've been a Christian for more than six months, you should be serving. <laughs> yeah. 
Matter of fact, um, I know uh, Pastor Randy mentioned this, and I agree with him that can't help but serve. Right? It's it's like we have to serve. I have to serve. It's what I'm called to do. It's what we're all called to do, to serve. And in that service, there is such a blessing in it. You know, you, you pray, Lord, use me to bless somebody today. And in that, you're the one that receives the blessing because you see the people are getting blessed by, through the Lord, that the God is using you. And in that, you are the one receiving the blessing. And so Paul not only gave them the gospel, but he also met their physical needs. And Paul and the other disciples, they also supported themselves not to be a burden to any of them. And then finally, we see the gospel was delivered to them through a good witness in verses 10 through 12. You are witnesses and God also, and God also, how devoutly this word means holy. The Lord said, be holy, for I am holy. That doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. That doesn't mean we're going to be um, sinless. But it certainly means we're going to sin less, right? And so Paul tells them that they were witnesses, and God is witness as well, of their conduct in front of these believers. How devoutly and justly, this word justly means honestly, their behavior was righteous, measuring up to what God expects and requires, and blamelessly, their behavior was able to stand against the accusations because it was right. We behaved ourselves among you who believe. And so Paul and the disciples were conscious of the fact that their behavior could either strengthen the believers or cause them to stumble. And that's a good, good reminder for us as well. No matter where we're at, at work, at school, um, grocery store, it doesn't matter. Our conduct can either strengthen a new believer or a believer. And, and they were new believers here, so we can say new believers. Our conduct can either strengthen a new believer or cause a new believer to stumble by how we speak, where we go, what we do. Paul was uh, conscious of this, and so he says that they were witnesses how they behaved themselves among them. And then he says in verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and, cha and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. And so Paul earlier used the illustration of a nursing mother. He now uses the illustration of a father discipline his children and he says, you know how we exhorted, how we encouraged you, how we comforted you, 
and how we charged, how we implored you, how we urged you, every one of you, as a father does his own children. The purpose of this discipline was that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In all three of these descriptions that Paul uses here in verse 11, exhorted, comforted, and charged, all three of them in the Greek expresses continuous, repeated action. And so it wasn't just once that they exhorted them. It wasn't just once that they comforted them or implored them or urged them. It was continuously, they were continuously urging them to walk worthy of your calling, reminding them, reminding them that to walk worthy of their calling. And he says, God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So not only were they reminding them of the fact that they were to walk worthy of the calling, but they were reminding them that God called them into his own kingdom and glory, just as he has done for us as well. He has called us into his kingdom. That is, that's amazing that God would do this for us, that he would call us into his own kingdom and into his own glory. We started with how the gospel delivered, how it was delivered in the power of the Holy Spirit, in much conflict and in boldness, and in a way pleasing to God. But we ended with the gospel being delivered through a good witness. I think that's important, a good witness. Especially, um, I mentioned this last time, there's some people that, you know, they begin to share the Lord, and I'm like, yes, there you go. <laughs> good, share the Lord. And then when they're done, their very next words are cuss words. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Everything you just shared is probably gone through one ear and out the other now. The witness is gone. Our witness is so important, maybe just as important as what we say. Because we want people to see Christ in us. We want people to know that what we are sharing is what we are living. We want people to know that we believe what we're saying. The only way they're going to really know if we believe it is if they see us living it. And if they see us living it, then they'll know that we believe it. And so our witness is so important as well. If we are not living what we are preaching, then we probably won't have a fruitful ministry. Secondly, and lastly, what is the reason for our ministry? Is it because of love? Is it for the souls of people? 
do we want to see believers, especially new believers, walk worthy of God who calls them into his own kingdom and glory? Do we want to see them grow in the Lord? Do we want them, do we want to see them just become mature in the Lord? That should be the purpose of our ministry. I love Paul's heart here toward the Thessalonians as, as their pastor, as their spiritual father, as he pours out his heart to them, assuring them that he's not in it for personal gain, but he's in it for, for them so that they are cared for, so that they are growing in the Lord. And so that is a good example for us as well. The reason why we are in the ministry, why we, as we are called to share the gospel as well, so that we can share with others and grow them in the Lord as well. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. God, uh, I just love the heart of Paul. No doubt, Lord, he has your heart. As he, as he told the Corinthians, I believe it was, Lord, um, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He did this with the, Thess with the Thessalonians, Lord. And I pray, God, that that message would be true for each and every one of us here tonight as well. That, God, we would imitate you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to use us, continue to instruct us, continue to grow us, Father. No matter where we're at in our walk, whether it's been many, many years or just a couple of short years or even months, Lord, you know where we're at, Father. I pray that you would keep us, you would keep our eyes on Jesus, and that, Lord, you would keep us in your word. Continue to teach us, Father. Continue to grow us. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going we're gonna to close with one last song, and thank you for coming out and, and leading us in worship. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you on Sunday. God bless you. Pray you have a blessed night.